The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Prague Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Up, you savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is working to find at MMAJunkie.com and five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully, it's before the fight. We just, that's right, we're going to be breaking down UFC on ESPN plus three, I guess we're on UFC Prague. UFC Fight Night 146, I dare say. I don't know. I, I, I'm losing. I'm losing track at this point. Um, and apparently, so are the sites. Yeah, 145. There we go. Close enough. Whatever. You know where we're at. We're going to be breaking that down. We're coming off a big weekend. Big weekend news. Uh, I haven't talked too much of it because usually, like I said, five days a week. Usually, five days a week at Me Junkie Radio. But uh, been taking some nights off there. Uh, using some time off just to kind of to, to kind of get some things done, both you know uh, personally, professionally, all around, just comes in handy. Like I said, uh, you know you gotta hatch time out. I'm, I'm trying to learn, at least I would think, from these crazy UFC stretches and whatever the nine weeks straight or whatever it is from late January to July with only one UFC weekend free or in between or some crazy crap like that. I don't know the math. It's insane. So uh, so yeah. Um, you know, this might be a pattern you see in the future. All is good. Don't worry there. Uh, the boys are, of course, holding it down. It's their show. Of course they're holding it down, Georgian goes. Uh, killing it over there. Uh, getting some, scoring some some, uh, some some great guests this week, including my coach, Neil Melanson, which was fun. He helped us uh, kind of recap the weekend, of course. Neil's worked with uh, Vicente Luque, amongst other fighters, and Vicente Luque had a had a banger with uh, with with, with my, my boy Brian Barberina, you know. I know uh, the term "my team, my guy" is very used, and rightfully so. It's, it's fun in games, and but 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 I guess if uh, if 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 Dan Tom had a team, as a lot of you know, and, and we'll get to in this card, you're already calling calling out and asking asking my opinions for uh, Hansel Beach, which we'll get to that fight. But uh, yeah, Brian Barberina, of course, would be would be on my team. And Vincente Luque, how is he not on everybody's team? He really is a a nice guy in and out. And and I always give the UFC crap for their bonuses. They're not giving it to prelim fighters or sometimes fighters that just really just deserve it. And uh, they did a great job giving that fight. Then although it's no brainer, right? I mean, uh, you could argue that they may have you know could have maybe g- g- gave my girl Emily Whitmer. Uh, you know, for the fastest female flyweight submission in UFC history. I know, sample size, but hey, that's her fucking record. Good for you, Emily. She's a sweetheart. And uh, even though she didn't get the bonus, if you looked at uh, Johnny Case's, I think, Instagram story, he, uh, he, uh, you know, of course, he's, he's dating uh, Emily. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, I don't know if it was like per diem or extra food they had, but she's uh, out giving her extra food to the homeless on fight week. 
and uh, that's uh, par for the course for a girl like Emily. So, you know, she, she she's one of the good one of the good guys, so to speak. Yeah, good girls, obviously. I'm trying to get gender specific there, you know what I mean? But uh, so yeah, the, the, a lot of good stuff. Uh, you know, I think I broke just about even as far as the betting goes. You know, Dan Tom. Uh, from stated to a little bit of sprinkling degen, which I do cover here as well. If I, I, I definitely hint, or if not, an outright with that kind of stuff. I did all right, you know. I, it's funny, man. I, it's like quietly, I don't think I've had a losing event as far as as far as picks go, I mean, uh, which is not that hard to do, I guess, to come up on the wrong right side of fifty percent um, or sixty percent, even to qualify you as, as not losing. But uh, but uh. You know, I'm ending just positive. Like, I've never had any 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 that really big of nights or anything in 2019 as of yet. But I am like quietly like kind of coming in a little bit positive. So hopefully you guys, you know, a little taboo to talk about money, and you know me, I, I it's what we talk about here because we're degenerates. But at the same time, I don't really focus it on it too much as far as dollar value. It's more about opinions, you know, uh, rather than uh. uh any braggadocious uh, fines or 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 busts or, or bargains here. I'm not claiming to have any of those, uh, except for the bust. I definitely will bust. That's for damn sure. But no, no, I dare say uh, quietly, quietly doing all right. So hopefully, you guys are too. Give definitely giving you all your positive vibes and playing within your means, keeping it fun because it's a crazy sport. This this is just for fun. And uh, some 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 fun matchups to get to, but first we will get to some news after I finish the very very brief recap. Obviously, not much to recap for Bellator. Uh, speaking of busts, right? A sport that's full of them, you can't help but have them on all ends. And 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 they they put some great matchups together for Mitrione Karatonov to Daly versus MVP. They didn't come together as planned, so that that's kind of that, right? Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, you know, yeah, the UFC Phoenix, and, and I already touched on a lot of the undercard and, and main card there. But of course, the co-main event, um, Paul Felder comes through again. I bet him in these close matchups as a dog, or maybe even slight favorite at times. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, I need some water here. And uh, he came through uh, by decision uh, again. It just. Uh, I, I talked about it last week, but just just Vic, I don't think he's fighting in the right weight class. And uh, even though Felder can kick hard and Vic has skinny legs, I would argue that uh, the muscular durability and everything, you got to wonder how much of all that is affected, you know? I, I just don't think we're seeing the best Vic out there. Um, and Felder, man, Jesus Christ, you know, uh, shouts out to him. Hopefully he's recovering better now from what is, I think it's the second surgery now from a punctured lung he caught from a knee third round so Paul Felder man uh what a savage hopefully he's not all crazy laid out again for a while but at the same time takes the time he needs to big win for him uh and then of course Kane versus uh Nganu Francis just just came out laying the business and Kane I mean to be honest I don't know how good he could have looked or how how uh, he could have made all the right moves and you could have been a Kane supporter and you still would have felt nervous for him. I think that's just heavyweight MMA slash any fight involving Francis Ngannou and what it's going to feel like, right? But, yeah, I, I so, so so with that kind of preface stated, uh, I will say, yeah, no, I, I didn't, you know, 
I didn't feel good from the start. Not that that meant anything, or I'm saying that to mean anything, but just, just for what it's worth, yeah, you just, you just didn't feel good for, for, for Kane in the start. You're like, ooh, this is going to go good. And then, sure enough, he loses, like, in the worst place possible. Like, again, I was... Uh, not just because, you know, people like myself defending his injury ridency, which, again, I, I wasn't ignorant to that. Uh, if anything, I was the first per one of the first people fucking fading that train. Uh, I couldn't be shouting any louder again. That's a reference for the billionth time, my Fabrizio Verdum bet. But again, it's not, it, it wasn't beyond possibility or beyond my comprehension, in other words, is my point. Uh, that Kane, you know, uh, could come into a fight not 100%. You know, that the injuries keeping him out of fights could follow him into the fight. Like, I, I knew that was a possibility, but uh, you got to admit, you know, you, you got to like a guy's chances when he comes back on his terms. And if there is a division that's forgiving for comebacks and rejuvenations it is heavyweight so you know and if there is an outlier it is this guy but man this was a really detrimental loss i think in my, my opinion real bad worst way he could have lost uh because it just feel not just fuels the critics but fuels the critics rightfully so even even people that were would criticize and come around and what i would like to think was a grounded down-to-earth opinion on him and still defending him like myself mm, no that that sways me as well as you know, it it, it it essentially proves all the critics right in a way. Not that you want to go hardcore, uh, completely negative. I'm definitely not, nor do I suggest you do. And I wish Kane the best, but man, that is bad. Almost as bad as, uh, you know, the truthers of the, the punch didn't land or whatever, all that stuff coming out. I, I can't get involved in that nonsense. I... I just bow out of most Twitter stuff, man. I'm just, uh, it's too much, too much for old Dan Tom. I'm just old freaking curmudgeon. I'm just going to be, you guys see me. I end up just yelling on the lawn looking like an idiot. So, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't get into that, whether it's, uh, nonsensical or whether, uh, or something I'm impassionate about either or just, yeah. But, um, I think my opinion was pretty well stated in one of the tweets. I, one of my last tweets I, I stated, you know, you got to give credit to Francis for the short shots and, and feel for Kane for the knee injury. That's pretty much it. Uh, but it was a good uh, debut overall because they, they stacked the event properly, unlike they did the first time around. Um, pull some notes up in front of me here. On my sheet. Yeah. Uh, so, well, GSP retirement's written first. Let's just say that. That was... The big news, that was the big news earlier this week, and then, of course, he had the press conference today. I'm recording at the eve of uh, this, uh, by the way. Uh, Georges Saint-Pierre announced his retirement. Hello. I will timestamp this, too, so for you guys to jump at, I'm not going to try to take too long on this, or the breakdown, really, but um, there, there's a decent amount to say this week, so it could go long. So either way, I'll timestamp it, and just to remind you guys, I usually do. Uh, so for for those of you who complain about my long windedness or or perhaps short windowedness to event time, they'll be getting this well before twenty four hours before the event. Hopefully, like thirty six ish range. I'm guessing. We'll see by the time I edit it and so forth. And your boy still has to eat some dinner tonight. All right. Um. But yeah. No. It, George St. Pierre retired. You know. And I'm not one to make big deal about retirements because we know how those things go in the sport. But that being said, and me being, you know, Mr. Contrarian and, oh, I'll believe it when I see a guy, um, for what it's worth, as much as you can, for what that's worth, I do believe he stays retired. There's not a lot of scenarios to get him out. 
And to be honest, maybe that's me actually hoping that he stays retired. Um, One, because we'll get to here in a second, just a fucking amazing career and going out on top and just how rare that is, right? I mean, stating the obvious, stating what's been, you know, battered around a billion times, but it's true. Uh, And two, um, because divisional chaos, which may tie in the next points, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, you know, with talking about how it affects the lightweight division, because that was also a talking point this week. Uh, As, I mean, it's been a talking point. It's been an issue, but I believe, you know, you could argue with Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson's recent tweets. Maybe an ally Quinta, too. I'm really bad with the... I know that that's, like, fucking from mainstream to low-key to everything in between MMA media and Twitter fucking timelines. Like, that's all we report on these days is who said who went to... I'm... I work in the media and I'm fucking sick of it. So I, I feel you folks. And subsequently, uh, I'm not that good at keeping up on that part uh, of the sport. Um, as much as I need to be, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I guess I like when some stuff too. And rightfully so, man, these guys are all badasses. I love these dudes, you know, especially guys like Tony, obviously first on my list and Dustin, a close second. Like those are the, the real motherfuckers, the guys who fight the fights that nobody wants to fight. Which was why I was kind of, um, and wow, I'm really jumping over, I'm crossing all three subjects here, uh, you know, which is why I was sticking up for Robert Whitaker, even though I, I knew a situation like this would come up, and I'm not going to go get into the interim world title argument, because to be honest, all the belts are devalued, it's not just the interim titles, <laughs> the world titles are devalued, uh, subsequently in theory, because if the interim titles are devalued, so are the world titles, but again, how we are treating world champions are people who in my opinion, should have been deemed world champions at the time, like maybe a, a Tony Ferguson or, you know, being up there for a second. But, you know, we get rid of these we get rid of these belts and, and give, give them so fast. But, uh, but yeah, back to my point. Um, that's why I defend Robert Whitaker so much, why, you know, and we'll get to, we'll get to, we'll end this on a positive note by talking about George's career and his accomplishments. And yes, he was technically the last person, you know, the last time the, the title was, I guess, uh, in action, uh, so to speak. Um, but it, 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 Whitaker was the guy fit, fit fighting the dudes that nobody wanted to face. You know, he's the dude fighting Souza when, how many times was fucking Souza ducked for shots or, you know, top contenders or champions uh, or, you know, Yoel Romero. Two times, ten rounds. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, and just being an odds-on underdog uh, from the onset of his middleweight career, you know. But anyways, I don't want to get back into that same rant because I just did that last podcast. But yeah, I, I feel for all these guys in, in title pictures and whatnot. And from the obviously from the sound of it with George negotiating with Khabib, that kind of, you know, being what everybody kind of knew on a low-key and shoot, I was predicting that all the way from last year with my, uh, I outlined that with my uh, potential contenders for Georges Champierre, I believe, I'd like uh, F- Ferguson, Askren, uh, Woodley. Uh, I wrote, you know, different, these different scenarios up. And, uh, and Nurmagomedov, not Ferguson, but, um, but yeah, I don't know, probably, probably was Nate Diaz was the fourth or something, but yeah. And, um, you know, the Khabib one kind of made made the most sense, uh, especially 
you know, after he beat McGregor and had that matchup, uh, he was kind of narrowed down between those two. George, you know, you knew JSP was going to target one of those dudes. And it wasn't a question of whether he deserves it. I think it's an unfair question uh, because you he's the most deserving guy in the sport. I mean, spoiler alert, guys, he's my greatest of all time fighter. Um, you know, that could change in 10 years. Who knows what the sport holds in the future, but as far as our sample size for what the fuck it's worth now, yeah, he's the greatest of all time. Uh, we've heard the arguments. Mine will probably be along similar lines. It's more about what he didn't get caught doing than what he did do. And even though there are people like myself who uh, I won't just blindly praise him here, I also will, will, will come clean with criticisms that uh, and stay consistent with him because every fighter has, even fighters that I, I love dearly, uh, I have plenty of criticisms for. Like, uh, for example, BJ Penn. It's not hard to criticize that guy, right? I mean, these are these are, these are fair. But, for example, for criticisms of George, you know, doing a decision a lot, which, hey, I, you know, as a fan, uh, I definitely got frustrated. Hell, my uh, my best bud at the time, uh, Steve Cruz, shout out to Steve, played bass in my band. You guys heard of him. He, he got me into MMA. His favorite fighters were Crow Cop and uh, George St. Pierre, mainly George St. Pierre. Uh, was a big GSP fan. So, uh, naturally, getting into the sport... Um, uh, you know, right during, you know, I was a tough noob, so right after tough, and then uh, the Sarah upset happened, and, uh, you know, he wasn't this invincible figure. It wasn't like he was just jumping on a bandwagon, and this was more the martial arts George, and so I was really sold, you know, I saw him come with the gi, but yeah, he could wrestle and do all these things, and, you know, remember the, the posters before he fought Josh Koscheck, and that's kind of the fight where he's credited because that's where he kind of rebounded and out-wrestled the high-level wrestler. But for me, it was kind of when he, when he beat Trigg. I mean, that was a coming-out party. Uh, Trigg, uh, you know, top-level world-class wrestler himself and, 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 and top contender even at that time, you know, uh, rankings-wise and all. And, and George just fucking wiped the floor with him. And anyways, I'm, I'm kind of jumping all around here. But, uh, but yeah, I was, I was definitely, you know, a George fan. So that's why I guess I was, I was so frustrated. Even my buddy Steve. Yeah, I remember him just shouting at the Alves. Like, oh, man, come on. He's laying and praying. And, like, even, like, you know, his staunchest fans kind of turning against him at times. Like, yes, that was a criticism. But to be honest, man, in retrospect, I think it's way more impressive that he stayed in his division and fought these guys who were killers in a murderer's row. Um, and defended, uh, you know, um, and yes, the, also the criticism to that was that he didn't take the Anderson super fight. He didn't move up in weight, which was a big thing and still is a big thing for people like me when we're talking pound for pound, great fighters. But, uh, you know, so, so I don't really weigh as heavily the Bisping move. That, that kind of rubbed me still, you know, I was like, you know, that I was kind of pick very cherry picking. Like we, we George would be the fans. We, of the sport, your fans asking for that fight with Anderson, never wanting to move up, uh, and then kind of, you know, waiting years on, on end to cherry pick the right moment. And fuck, man, he's a good sniper. Good on him. He did it, right? Uh, no one's going to take away that, but l let's be real. This is, again, back where the belts are devalued. There's another reason why the belts are devalued. It doesn't mean George deserves absolute credit for that win. Great win, regardless of sniping or not. George absolutely deserved the shot, even though politics were BS and Robert Whitaker still doesn't get enough credit for his positioning in the whole picture. 
You can't argue that George didn't deserve it to be there. But again, that's kind of an unfair argument. It's not about deserving because back to the reason why belts are devalued. It's not just interim titles are bullshit and interim titles mean no value. No, 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 no. Belts in general are losing value. And, and, and the pinnacle of having belts is another part of that. Not just the substitute belts, but the opposite end of the spectrums, double belt holders, even double belt holders uh, as respectable, if not the most respectable of respectable, which is George St. Pierre. Because of what it does. Uh, and the reason why I will still, by the way, uh, rank George St. Pierre as an all-time great in pound-for-pound rankings as well is because of his skill set. Because not only am I someone that preaches weight class, which, like, I just kind of presented the counter-argument to George St. Pierre in that he only did it once and was, was kind of cherry-picking if we're taking that kind of very harsh and unfair stance of it, though fair at the same time in a certain sense. Again, it's all perspective, right? Perspective can be really dicey in that sense, people. Don't get hung up on that. But here's the counterpoint. Uh, so you guys can put your pickets down. Uh, coming back down to earth, again, St. Pierre fan here, giving him all the credit in the world and all the proper placements. The reason, though, why I give him the pound-for-pound place was not because of his one-weight jump achievement. Well, it was because of his skills at the end of the day, which is much more important. Mind you, much more harder to do, especially in his era, which he translated eras. Again, just just a multi-layered fucking greatness right there. But uh, because, again, what other people don't talk about for pound for pound, and they do talk about jumping in weight class. They just don't value it as much as I and and, and I think many others do. Um, But what people don't talk about is, which is my opinion, is kind of the most crucial because pound for pound, and correct me if I'm wrong, any listener out there, but... It comes from the automotive industry in that 50s or 60s kind of sporting talk when it really started taking that 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 dynamic, uh, you know, from, from from racing and so forth. And uh, use an automotive as far as kind of to rate a car, you know, okay, well, what was its overall speed? What was its horsepower? What was its torque? What was its pickup off the line? How did it handle? What was its durability? You know, you'd have some car, you know, it's a Cadillac, it's a lead sled, man. It's got great durability, but that thing's slow off the line, man. It's carrying a bunch of lead. Sure, you got a V8 in there. It's a heavyweight, in other words, right? So you kind of can see how maybe car types and that pound-for-pound pound label translates over to fighters. And I don't see how that stays consistent with the way a lot. And again, it's subjective, so there's no fucking right way to talk about it, first of all and foremost. But for what it's fucking worth, I, I, I do find it kind of odd that I would at least hope people would kind of start off from that base point that whatever they end up for their pound for pound arguments of whatever it is you can at least kind of retrace to some type of substantial argument of oh okay yeah you're right he's got the durability he's got the and i feel like that gets missed i feel like it's the soup du jour it's who's you know and 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 that kind of got missed and i think that was a a big argument for why uh, Mighty Mouse was in the argument for so long is because he could do all those skills, He, you know, if, if you put it on that base. And that's why George, in my opinion, um, would still be a pound-for-pound pound greatest of all time if he never moved up and took that title. So as much as I'm, I, I, I can lay criticism to one part of that middleweight title grab uh, part of his career, which may look kind of funny in the record books, like, wait, he just came back for that one year, years later? Yep, that's all he did, um, which is fine. But... As much as I or anybody who's playing devil's advocate here as well, folks, can criticize that by the same breath, I can also genuinely tell you my opinion is I would still be telling you he's the greatest of all time and a pound-for-pound great, which two different things, uh, if he never did that because he was so talented as a fighter, just as a, as a pure welterweight and so proven 
uh, with those skills as a pure welterweight, being able to mesh those skills. A uh, guy that really, you know, him and Sean Shirk were like the two guys who really were uh, pioneers of the offseason, I would argue. Um, you know, they're consummate hard workers and blue-collar guys like Randy Couture's early on, but, you know, when this when this thing became a sport, it was guys like Sean Shirk and, and like a St. Pierre who you'd be like, we're making gains. Now, Shirk, well, it was mainly, uh, you know, uh, needles and caveman workouts. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, I love you, Shirk. Uh, but you know, uh, but it was more gains than his cardio and strength and conditioning. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Jesus, Dan, come on now. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> stirring tribute there, Dan Tom, stirring tribute. Uh, oh, but but whereas Saint Pierre, obviously, he was skill building. He was going to Brazil and doing jujitsu. Um, he was going and doing wrestling with a Canadian wrestling team, and his body almost represented it. You know, like remember when that Matt Hughes fight, the third one, he took kind of a last minute when 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 Sarah fell out. And I remember, like, the day of weigh-ins, there's, like, still cabs with uh, Matt Sarah versus Matt Hughes, Bill. And I always hated that because it was just, like, here in Vegas. Because you were like, that she was a matchup you really wanted to see. You were, like, you were reminded that you weren't getting it again. You were, you were reminded after you already digested the fight. was canceled. And it was a bigger deal back then because, you know, fights were fewer. And anyways, and St. Pierre shows up. And he just was, I remember he just looked so muscled. Remember he just tossed, like, kind of... Uh, Right before, not right before, but, but but pretty much right before the end, uh, he gets the armbar finish on Matt Hughes in, in, in their third fight. He just tosses him across. Boy, that was an awesome fight. Uh, though I will say probably their, their second fight has got to be the most landmark, in my opinion, especially for a George St. Pierre fight, but just as far as their trilogy goes, because that was the, the passing there. Uh, that was the avenging of the loss, which, which St. Pierre would make a habit of, and avenge both losses of his career. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, and, and, you know, people are going to be talking about the fights. And, yes, I, I, I co-signed. You know, Carlos Condit fight was great. And and uh, even the, you know, the, the Bisping fight, as much as I criticized it, was awesome because it was a return to that. Not just the action or finishing GSP, but he was even giving nods to his karate roots, which guys like me just loved seeing a guy come in there. And, you know, he was, granted, he's, you know, it was Kyokushin karate, which makes more sense. It's, it's, it's the karate style you see travel more because uh, just for in layman's quick short terms, it's the closest type of karate to sport there uh, that there is. That's why you will see it pop up in, for example, Montreal, George St. Pierre, or an Alexander Volkov in Russia. Um, it, it's a more traveling sport type karate. Uh, they're also obviously rich with tradition and roots too. Not lacking there. But yeah, man, I mean, I can't, can't not love the guy. And, and again, just kind of closing out, posted my, my, one of my favorite moments which, you know, you think I, I, I wouldn't like St. Pierre, but again, uh, I, I was introduced St. Pierre at the same time, if not maybe even slightly before uh, BJ Penn, because again, I, I introduced right at, right at the tough boom, tough noob, okay, for me. Uh, and again, I saw fights before this. I probably even saw fights in the late 90s, like dark era ages. I had friends with VHS tapes. I just wasn't too into it. Uh, I was more into the, the traditional martial arts and... Anytime I'd go to jiu-jitsu school, want to go to jiu-jitsu school, uh, you know, um, you know, it was uh, it was more segmented off. I, I I think I had cool enough teachers toward the end of my martial art, traditional martial arts uh, car- career, if you want to call it that, just for lack of a better word, that it wouldn't have mattered. But it was a different time then, for sure. Um, and and but but yeah, so I didn't really get in too deep. But yeah. Uh, Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here, but yeah. So uh, I need, you know, I was introduced to GSP as one of the first fighters I was introduced to 
in a sense, just because of who, luckily having friends who were super hardcore and, and, and into it. And, uh, and yeah, so it sucked that, you know, he would, him and my other, you know, favorite fighter would, would get in a rivalry and, 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 um, you know, of course they had their first fight and, and it's just one of those classic matches for damage versus wrestling for that classic argument. And it's not a robbery either way or anything like that. It was a close decision, you know. But it was always, it was, it was always a great fight to reference for that argument, you know. BJ the classic. I spent the, he spent the night in the hospital. I spent the night at the bar. Who won the fight, you know. And uh, you see, like, this classic backstage. But backstage moments George St. Pierre with the ice on his head and the trainer he telling the trainer I don't want to ever go through a fight like that again and the BJ starts taunting him on the rematch and they have the the build up and in hindsight it sucked because it was like oh even though uh, for a guy that's not a big tr fan of trash talk maybe because you know again fan of BJ Penn I was able to stomach it and not like you know it, it, it was it didn't seem anything bad or whatever but part of me was just like, uh, I don't really want to see the, uh, you know, uh, this is going to be ugly, you know. And sure enough, it was ugly, but uglier than I thought. Like, I was so stoked for this fight. I could, I remember having dreams about that fight before it happened. Like, I would have dreams like it happened, like, oh, so I was in the crowd. And I'd get so excited, I would wake up. Like, I, I've never been so much more excited for a fight. And it was the first time, you know, I like the, the revisionist history. You know, Connor tried to lay, like, no one else tried to do what I'm about to do with UFC 205. Like, fuck. Come on, man. I love you, Connor. Give fucking credit to BJ here. You're, you're fucking... Uh, you're playing off the book he wrote and opened the door for you. Anyways, but uh, but yeah, it was like... You know, I was, I was, I was so excited for that fight. And man, it was just it was one-way drubbing. And uh, I always thought that Greasegate stuff was was ugly, by the way. Even as a, as a, as a BJ fan back then, I, I never gave credence to that and thought it would have been a bad game plan if he was trying to win off his back, and I think history played that way. So, And in fact, it ended up being opposite. I think people that look at the game, that became a very, you know, just like the first fight was a classic example of, of, of judging. This one, was a, the second fight was a classic example of tactics, getting guy, you know, of, of just a basic tactic of, of clinch. It was thought about to be ugly fighting or stalling before, but George St. Pierre showed it was with a purpose. You get a dangerous striker, a guy at the speed advantage, you nullify that first, then you do what you want with them. And it was just this brilliant game plan. And for, again, back to the criticisms of George being this boring guy, decision. Oh, he seems, you know, so fake in the sense of, not fake like a, a John Jones. He's really like, you know, although <laughs> George was hitting ladies, but in a different way. Let's be honest, guys. Um, but, you know, but as far as like, oh, he's saying the same thing. I want to be politically correct and always say the right things. Uh, you know, only but you just saw fucking George really come out. And I remember even, like, people translating, like, things that he was saying in French. And he was he was saying some not nice things uh, about uh, the Hawaiian there, uh, let's just say, uh, that were very not George St. Pierre-like. But I like it. Just like, I, you know, it's about John Jones. I like when these guys show their real personality. And in retrospect, uh, as a fighter, and that fire, uh, BJ brought the best out of him, man. So even if... You love George and hate BJ, that's fine. But you got to admit, BJ brought the best out of him, if anything. So that that was the, you know, had the primetime buildup. But I, I posted my favorite part, which wasn't a part of the primetime buildup, but it was a part of their promotional tour. They did this radio show hosting gig in uh, Hawaii. They went everywhere, right? They did one of those tour stop things. Again, this was this was back in like 2009 and shit too, right? Was it? Jesus. But, um... 
And uh, it's weird. One of the favorite things us Hawaiians love is, is, is you know, having other people eat our food and, and, and whatnot. And it's like, hey, try it, try it. And it's almost like a borderline hazing process, you know. We, we want you to love it as much as we want you to hate it because both are just as enjoyable, right? And sure enough, uh, like, and they have George and BJ in the same room, and they're being, like, you know, gentlemen to each other. This is before the fight, of course. And... Uh, they brought like mono, like pretty much dim sum boxes like Manapua, pork hash, and they're not like they're very tasty food. Like I have more of an American palate when it comes to dim sum, and I, I eat this type of shit. Like that's the kind of stuff they had in the, in the pink box. And um, but they like were fucking with George, saying it was cat and stuff. And it's just funny because it's just complete fucking Homer territory for BJ Penn there in Hawaii, and George is being like the most consummate gentleman. Uh, throughout the whole process, uh, and he's actually like, trying the food and eating. And granted, he has a metabolism where you can eat that shit and fucking sodium-rich food and still have a six-pack. Uh, but uh, and you just see BJ getting a kick out of it too. You hear him in the background, and it's just like for a second, like even as aggro as BJ was back then, and they were toward each other. Like George is in the hostile environment. He's being a consummate gentleman. BJ is even kicking back, letting loose, and having some real genuine laughs. And was cheering George on, like, yes, George. Like, it was just, it was great. Like, for a second, especially when you know what was going to transpire between those two. And, you know, from the sound of it, I never really seen them bury the hatchet. I mean, we had this, the Matt Hughes in the back of a motorcycle. And I was, like, reminiscing through some, or not reminiscing, but, but going back to search some interviews. And one came up was James Lynch. And I think, maybe James, you can shout me out if you listen to this. But I think he interviewed BJ. Came up on YouTube. Looked like UFC 200, given the black pe- the back placards. Um, but, and James asked him, you know, about that, about that. And, and he gave like kind of politically correct answers. But if you, again, if you're a guy that reads between the lines, you know, you, you could see like, you know, there's still, still a lot there. And I think just because he, he did talk a lot, you know, you, you do, you, you can't, there is a price for talking, whether it's to sell a fight or not. And, um, you know, he didn't just talk with George. It was toured for us and that gym. And then that stayed and was able to lure him out when Rory, who, you know, not the, say what you will, even the biggest fans of Rory, I don't think we can call him a great shit talker, right? Um, you know, he, serial killer back, more back in that day, sure. Uh, young guy on the rise, scary, sure. I don't know if he's a good shit talker, but it really didn't take much, to be honest, to get BJ Penn out of retirement, which, you know. I was cringing again. And by this point, I was already like, dude, either fucking go back to 155, uh, train in the mainland, or stay retire. Like, I wasn't completely back in this point, like, stay retire. But, yeah, and, and uh, he's had that, that, that feud, which is, which, is, which is sad. So, anyways, I'm, I'm going on multiple tangents here. I apologize, guys. I will timestamp. I'm running, running along here. But that was one of my favorite moments because it just showed George just being a gentleman and we didn't, you know, being him being such a gentleman, we didn't get much feud. So him being a gentleman in what was one of his few, few real feuds and rivalries, um, was just a real underrated moment for me. I don't know why I spent so much time on that, but there you go, folks. And yeah, I already made my points on Dustin, Tony, Izzy, and Kelvin. In the initial lead into that, uh, we will spare the rest going into there. Let's get into this breakdown, guys, as I pull up the lines because they've already expired as I've, I've talked too long let me refresh and sign in here um 
Although, you know, this does parlay into what I said about my note that I didn't get to in regards to my content. Let me know what you guys think about my content. I know it's kind of weird, you know, it, it, I've been looking now, man. I haven't had, for one reason or another, whether it's last-minute change-ups, crazy things, circumstances. I don't I don't think we've had a main card breakdown for you guys uh, in me junkie since UFC maybe 229, which means there hasn't been my main card picks officially published and posted. So I totally understand for being taken out of the runnings for that a while ago because that was only for pay-per-views and... As I just stated, I still haven't even been consistent on those. Um, you know, uh, let me know what you guys think in that regards. I, I might post some kind of more official poll to get a, more of a feel. Do you guys miss having those things? Would you like a more digestible version? Something just with my pics posted attached to something? Uh, a video or a written article for smaller fight weeks? And then the main rollout, of course, for pay-per-views like we aim to have, though we haven't. Uh, let me know what you think there. And as far as this podcast goes, we're gonna go from we're gonna go from top to bottom because not you know, it gets a little lighter on the bottom here to to, to be polite. And uh, I'm recording this, you know, eh, it doesn't really matter when I record it from morning to night. Uh, I tend to run out of steam toward the end, right? Just naturally you start hard and you start tweetering out. So um, save my energy for the the the, the big fight, if you will. Which is between Jan Blachowicz and Thiago Santos. Minus 110 even. Um, Jan Blachowicz, I don't know what the opener was. I'm pretty sure he opened as a dog. That's what I grabbed him at. I know, spoiler alert, but my breakdown already out on MMAJunkie.com. So you see who I picked. Um, and I didn't pick too many dogs on this card, but I played... Uh, I threw some sprinkles on them all. Nothing too serious. Again, this fight feels like a heavyweight fight, and, and I don't blame you if you're going either way on this one. Um, Jan Block, which kind of under, pretty, pretty underrated, though, uh, I, I would say. I think because he started off his career struggling to get over 500, kind of inconsistent. And then he just showed to gas, and for people like myself, even looking closer, we suspect maybe some knee trouble. He wasn't moving as well as he did, whether it was from guard or otherwise. When you look at his earlier fights, you know he was a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's had that ranking for a minute, I believe. Um, and then he had some surgeries. I don't know about time off, but you know, it looks like he heals. Some camp changes. Just kind of gets his game together and has this kind of. I don't want to say res res resurgence, but more just yeah, congealed resurgence, if you will. And, and, uh, and, you know, I'm not sure how long this run will take him, but it looks like he's uh, he's riding his late prime as a 35, going to be 36 the day after the fight. But Thiago Santos, though feeling like a, a higher fighty, a fighter ceiling and a younger guy, he's only a year younger, though they're technically, again, same age right now, 35 years old. And uh, Thiago Santos, though more athletic than Jan, you know, it's give and take. He he uh, he goes hard, but you know, I still wonder how much he can he can take shots. You know, he 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 does get hurt. It's it's hard. It's easy to forget because he's winning a lot of these fights, but he's he's getting ta he, he's he's you know reacting. He's reacting to when he gets tagged, though. At the same time, when he's since he's moved to light heavyweight, he is much more heavier on the trigger. Uh, offensively, uh, and also even in recovering. You know, it seems like he's recovering better, whether it's his gas tank, his chin. 
and his faith in such things that he will recover. I mean, he's, he's, he, he'll get hurt, but he launches himself right back in. So it's really hard to tell. Uh, I, I've always bet, you know, guys who can do things in boxing range against them, and maybe that's why I'm betting against them here because Jan Blachowicz has quietly improved there. He outboxed Jimmy Manawa, which I know people have been fading Manawa for a minute, and uh, so have I. I mean, I picked Manawa to beat him last time, but like I said before, I've actually picked against Manawa officially since Dayton way back, like to 2015. I haven't picked him since like 2014 probably, Jimmy Manawa. Um, maybe once, and then it was one of the fight where he did win, whatever that was. And that wasn't Corey Anderson, because I picked Corey Anderson there. Anyways, but yeah, uh, needless to say, uh, uh, point is I, I give Manawa where his credit is due, and the guy can do damage in that range. And Blockowicz was, you know, again, not just his improved jab, but even improved counters, you know, his slip uppercut hook, and he does it kind of off the left side, shifting. And I see that, him hitting that with Thiago Santos here in the first or second. I think he can, you know, this is sketchy for either guy to go to decision. Uh, they both have issues with gas tank, though Blockwitch has shown to kind of adjust that and manage that, whether he's fighting smarter or uh, preparing uh, better. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he, he seems to be managing his tank more, but it's, it's, it's a five-round fight. And I believe Jan, I can't know. Look off the top of my head. I, believe, I don't know if he's gone it, but I believe he's been scheduled it before for KSW. Anyways, but uh, yeah, it's going to get sketchy if it goes that long, though I would favor Jan there. I, I could definitely see him getting the submission because, again, this fight very smacks of a lot of the Nikita Kry Krylov fight where, you know, maybe that's why Santos opened as the favorite because he's the more hotter commodity with the more flashier finishes. It's more fun route for Tiago like it is Krylov. And I, I think I fell for that trap too because I went back and listened to my my breakdown for that one because, again, man, it's catching up to me now, man. Like not kind of like I alluded to, the, the, the format change. You know, yes, it, it's less writing and that should be a good thing for someone as busy as me. But at the same time, that writing is good because not only does it help instill to memory things, but they're great notes. Which, by the way, let me know, guys. Let me know that. I will post that later to make sure I get some responses on this. But do any of you guys ever go to my older notes or older breakdowns like Cliff Notes? Did you do it? Obviously, it was more easier when I was doing covering every main card breakdown, alluding to this point. Uh, maybe you did it more back in the day with the MixedMartialAnalyst.com days. But do you guys ever use that for your Cliff Notes when you're going back and studying those fights? Because like, for me, it's like... Now it's getting to the point where, since I've only been doing the main cards or co-main event write-ups, that, like, for example, it's a difference of, like, a library, and which is kind of what I initially make these breakdowns for, and, like, that's how Mixed Martial Analyst low-key was originally designed for, like, a library, where you can pull things. But when I don't have that library or profile on a guy, and again, it doesn't matter. You still have to watch their most relevant fights because you have to see how that fight played out. Or maybe even the fight after that because maybe I have a written breakdown on the second to last fight, not their last fight. Either way, it's a great, like, nice marker. It's a library thing, whereas if I don't have that, it's more like an archaeology site where it's like the, you've you got the duster out there, you're dusting away, and you're like, oh, there's the femur, right? And you're slowly getting the bones, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. That guy's really good with that double. Like, I remember that. He he goes to that toward the end of the rounds. And, and you, you have to put the work in, and, and it will come back, but, again, you have to... Kind of, because again, Dunbar's rule, there's only, you know, room for 100 names, so to speak. And this UFC schedule fucking pushes that, even for Rain Man fucks like myself. So, I guess, let me know if you guys are, do you guys feel that too, you're, that a struggle? And more specifically, do you, you ever use those notes, whether you're 
using the search bar function at MMAJunkie.com, pull up my breakdowns, or MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. Uh, but, but, but yeah, um, sorry, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked all over the place here, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I do, I do wonder that, um, anyways, but, but yeah, sorry. So anyway, yeah, that's what I was saying. I, so I had to go uh, back to listen to the podcast to get some kind of a bearing. So just for one, I, I couldn't even remember who I picked, but I wanted to know what my read was as well. And it was funny, again, like, real classic, like, you could tell when I'm really second-guessing my reads, just go, Dan's compromised, my analysis is probably going to be good, but who I pick is probably going to be wrong. And sure enough, because I did the classic Dan time where I go, you know, Blockowitz shouldn't be a dog here, he should probably win this fight, you know, but I'm going to go with Krylov, you know, uh, I can see him getting him out of his comfort zone, which is true, you know, in theory, a guy who, even though has gotten a better handle on his gas tank if Tiago Santos can do the same thing that I thought Krylov could have done and really just turn up the cooking temperature uh, obviously we saw Santos come on top of that in his last fight and in variations of that in fights before so yes sure um, that could happen that, that that wasn't necessarily a bad pick for Krylov a guy like Krylov who very similar to Santos in a sense uh, to do that but it's funny I'm like I'm like but no Blockwitch is probably going to take him down because uh, he he's got underrated wrestling and will use that to counter uh, aggression, and his ground advantage uh, slash Krylov's aggression will open him up for a submission. I literally lay out how the fucking fight exactly, and of course Dan Tom because I get too into my head on correcting slash overcorrecting the steering wheel. I ended up going with Krylov, and thank God I, I avoided that fight. And but I told you guys too, but. Um, yeah, that was just, oh, that was terrible read and pick for me. Uh, great read, but terrible pick and explanation. And so maybe, again, yeah, maybe, hey, maybe I'm playing the same game here, guys. Maybe now Dan Tom's overcorrecting that steering wheel. He's like, ho, 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 Bakowitz was making me money, and I turned my back at him on the wrong time. Not going to do that again. And maybe that's why I took the shot when I saw the 120. And But I'm not alone because, again, it, it went to 110, and there it has stayed, folks. I'm thinking on Bakowitz, but not by the submission. Actually, by the knockout, or at least rocking him enough to open up for the finish. But it, but I think he'll spark it off from the feet, folks. That's just me. Um, I wouldn't suggest playing it. Uh, I just put very small amount just for fun. Um, this kind of fight where you want a dog to pass, it just mainly even enjoy. It's not even worth the dog shot, especially with the lines at now. Whoever ends up being the dog, it won't be by enough. That's going to be, <laughs> excuse me, enticing unless you know something I don't. All right. Ooh. More water, combat hiccups. Ah. All right, cool main event time. Marcos Rogerio de Lima, minus 120. Another word, or AKA Florida, because Florida, he looks like that guy. Welcome to my house. We don't even load it. Give away submissions. Oh, oh, am I picking them? Sorry, I mean, it, Give away my pick there, but yeah, uh, Stefan Shrew plus 100. Um, we kind of saw him against uh, Marcos Jerry de Lima against uh, Stefan Struve Light, uh, Weezerick, his last time out. It was a really weird fight, moved up to heavyweight. Uh, Weezerick was favored, even though he took it last minute. I, I still probably would have picked him again just because de Lima, just, I couldn't trust him. I mean, the guy. Used to fight at middleweight, can't make light heavyweight, now going up to, you know, heavyweight, but really just looks like he's carrying garbage weight. But, you know, maybe, you know, he just grew and he's the thick dude naturally. He is a thick dude naturally, so maybe not a bad thing, right? Okay, sure. 
But still, he's not a consistent guy. It's hard to you know give him credit in the consistency area because I, I just don't see consistency from him. Um, and uh, I guess that was the most consistent fight as that was, and it was ugly, slow, and slogging. Uh, he even when he hurt his opponent, it was it was was making good, clear work like leg damage. He was going for takedowns, giving the guy a way to win. The only way he's shown to win on the big stage, granted, it was from his guard, um, but still, uh, just just was not smart, you know. And uh, I guess that's what this matchup comes down to. I don't know how you can trust either guy, um, which which alone could could maybe maybe make it a dogger pass territory. But no, that's not why. Uh, I've regretted it in the past, but I, I've been a more of an optimist in Stefan Struve than most. It's been hard to rely on him. He's been admittedly kind of in his own head a lot of performances. Um, and yeah, man, you know, just just you know, heart and dealing with all that stuff. And he also had some, some, some personal losses and some other things gone through another fight. Like, the dude's been through some stuff. And, uh, and uh, you know, even fights where he did have reasons, he still... Uh, Fought his ass off with the Volkov fight. Even when he lost, he was he was scrapping and putting it out there. You know, uh, uh, even even in defeat, uh, much respect to Stefan and Shrewe in that performance. Now again, is he some uber reliable guy that we're sleeping on, and he's gonna have this career turnaround? Just you wait and see. No, no, you know. In fact, I, you know, if you, I, I would not be that surprised if he lost this fight. Except he's facing Marcos Rogério de Lima, uh, who is afraid to use his own power, it seems like, which would, you know, he's going to have to get on the inside of this, but I don't see, I see those teep kicks being a problem, even say what you will about Struve's da- jab, which he is better about it, yes, but not not consistent. But Struve does throw some mean uh, teep kicks up the front and really good leg kicks. Now, Delima, of course, that was his best weapon in his last fight, but not only show that he can't properly build off it, I don't think he's going to be able to out leg kick Struve. Struve, in his low-volume performances to his high-volume performances, old performances to new, bad performances to good, a common thread is he leg kicks very well with people, and he marches, he counters, he's got range. Um, yeah, I don't I don't see Jared Lima being able to play that game. In fact, guys who try to play that game... Uh, Struve has that very Dutch mentality where he partly he he whacks back, uh, he goes to get, uh, get it back on you, but with authority. And he's back with uh, speaking of the Dutch mentality, mentality, stayed back with this, back with Bob Shriver for this one. So hopefully that m- will make him more aggressive than uh, Henry Hoof's projected aggression. Don't quit! Come on, where's the rumble line now? Don't quit! Stand strong! Stand strong! Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, uh, so I'm going to go with Stefan Struve here. I think he, he, you know, listen to interviews. He, I think he knows, you know, Delima gives up the submission when he breaks. I mean, Delima's a good, dived into fucking guillotines before and shit. And Struve does have an underrated game. He's, uh, he's the kind of guy who's, who's itching to use it. It's just, can he pull the trigger? Either he's going to pull the trigger or Delima's going to really dingle it out there. Um, you know, Struve could give the fight away, just like Delima could give the fight away, but he won't dingle his limbs out there, his head out there like Delima will. So that's the difference here. That's why I'm picking Stefan Struve. Made a play on him, but I'm not suggesting you jump off that cliff again. This is a heavyweight, hot garbage. Um, all right, um, all do he spicked. 
All right. We got uh, Mikhail Olakshezek, minus 200 versus... Hey, John Vellante, GP Vellante. <laughs> More like DP Vellante. Hey, Chris. Hey, John, let me out of this. I'm married. Uh, yeah, John Vellante, who should have his own uh, reality show at this point. I mean, Jesus Christ is listening to him on... Uh, UFC, uh, he did a UFC unfiltered like a week ago or so, like a co-host in the studio. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta hear it. At least for this guy's in the studio. The fucking dude doesn't disappoint. He's just hilarious. He's just talking about fucking chicks and just everything, you know, not defending punches, Keith Trimble being mad at him, like everything that is John Vellante. And it does not sound like he's made any efforts to change. And they were like, you should shoot a takedown in this fight. Shoot a takedown. Which actually would be interesting because he has the wrestling advantage. Which we'll talk about how that could play in this fight. Uh, but not only do I not see him doing that because he never does. And who knows what he can do even though apparently he's got underrated jujitsu. We've never seen it in a fight. He was just explaining why he doesn't want to. And it was kind of, they kind of actually spelled it out. Which is what I thought like. You know, I think Sarah's like, oh, you afraid you're going to gas? And, you know, it kind of was bashful, but I think that's what it was. And he didn't even remember that he shot took takedown in his last fight against Ed Herman. And, and he did, but he actually and he actually shot in the third round and trying to secure it. And he failed, and you kind of saw the fear in the retreat, like, oh, i got to catch my breath before this guy comes after me. And it was that exact scenario. Um, maybe that's why Sarah or whoever asked him that question. But, uh... You can tell they're being playful, but almost like just as frustrated because they love the guy and they want to see him use all his tools to get these wins rather than going to, you know, four split decisions and losing half of them or whatever it's been. Um, but, yeah, so that just kind of just not that I had any confidence, not that I was even leaning toward Volante, but that definitely did not give me any reason to try to look for the dog reason to pick him. I'm going to go with Lukšajuk because he's durable. He's got the gas tank. He's going to put out more volume. But here's the interesting thing. Alexejic tends to get off to a slow start, even though he's got a lot of first-round finishes as well. He'll get his ass kicked in fights and come back. That's not uncommon in or out of the UFC, I guess. But what makes his volume so effective? Well, the slow start is interesting, too, because John Vellante, even though he doesn't get a lot of finishes lately, he still has that power, right? Uh, or enough power. But what makes Alexejic's volume effective, which I got to guess that's why he's favored and a lot of people like myself are picking him, he's pretty good at mixing in takedowns. And he's not the best takedown artist, but he's pretty decent, uh, especially because he's not the biggest uh, light heavyweight. So he's he's, he's being able to score him. Uh, I don't know if he's going to score him against John Vellante, uh, not just because his high takedown defense percentage, which I don't have in front of me, uh, but he really is a good good wrestler. And, and, and though he uses it defensively, as opposed to offensively, he does damn well defensively. So what happens if they're in a kickboxing match? Um, it could get interesting, but again, still picking Alexejic because less of a sample size, but doesn't take much to be more consistent than John Vellante. And I say that with love because I love Vellante, but that's the truth. Uh, and I'm picking Alexejic here. Uh, I guess dog or pass, but I'm not really touching this one either, folks. Uh, at all, actually. All right, uh, next fight, Liz Carmouche, minus 140 for your eye favor. Uh, Lucy, puddle of love, Pudelova, uh, plus 120. 
Um, yeah. I, I could agree with those odds, although I just... It's like an ironclad favorite when it comes to Carmouche for me. I just, uh, I feel like I've, I haven't bet against her a lot, but I feel like the times I've done it, it's hurt. And uh, she's just one of those, she'll show up every time you're like, okay, the fade's on. Uh, you know, she'll be, you know, like, oh, she's older, she's inactive. Uh, in rounds, she's inactive on her schedule, hasn't fought in a while. Whatever argument you want to kind of compile, so just fuck, fucking, you know, fuck it up for you, you know? Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I mean that. I mean that. I love. I'm picking Carmouche here, by the way. Um, but like, she she will. She'll like stare at her opponent, kind of strike just enough, switch stances, stare, do enough stalking, right? Get some things going. Maybe she's not throwing, but we'll put that urgency on. But what she always does, is she gets those late those those late round takedowns, and she'll muscle them down again. She'll gorilla, she'll gorilla the girls down uh, from the body lock, trip them, get them against the fence, uh, get that top control time throw some short elbows, and kind of seal the round. Um, and I think that's what she's going to do here to Pudalova, get her against the flinch. You know, Pudalova's going to be a handful. She can pop, but, you know, Carmouche got a chin on her. She's got Uriah Faber's chin, let's be honest. And uh, she's yet to be stopped, only submitted twice. you got to go, you know, pretty far back for those. And the last one was Ronda Rousey. And, and in both those fights, Ronda Rousey and Marlos Kuhn, she had both the girls in trouble. I love that Marlos Kuhn fight, by the way. That's like the female uh, Silva Sonnen, you know, for me. One. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, um, uh, I'm going to take Carmouche to roll with that here. Pudalova, she's fucking a strong powerhouse. The only person from Prague. She's going to have that. And she's got no quit on her. She's just a fucking crazy-ass girl, man. She seems like she seems nuts, man. She seems... All right, Dan. All right, easy, easy, Dan. I'm just saying, she's... Uh, she's got the fire. She's got that fire. Um, puddle of love. Uh, Dogger pass, though. I, I, I stayed the... the oh, I didn't. I, I, I put, the, put the over in a, in a leg. So hopefully, knock on wood, that hits. Because both these chicks are fucking tough. I mean, Pudalova looks like... this. Like, you treat her like the bad guy in a scary movie. You back your car into her, and she's just fucking, <laughs> like DC said. You back your car into her. She's still coming. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Um, give this Carmouche. Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, next fight. Petter, no mercy on. Minus 300 now. All right. There's uh, John Dotson, plus 250. Um, Boyo, uh, I'm taking Jan here, but uh, I was just being careful on this one. This isn't like a, anyone looking to parlay this one. Um, I, I, I think this one go, you know, goes to the decision. I, I took a stab at the chalk as far as it's one of the, the, the props I took, uh, a chalk prop. As far as uh, favorites that I like, but only like an angle on, and um, this is one of those, especially because I'm not parlaying him. So I just did the minus 150. I, I hit the chalk for uh, by decision, um, which sounds something I know. But Young will even when he's having a parlay feast, like when he was a, uh, or uh, you know just a feast, I should say, like with uh, Douglas De Silva de Andrade with my, God, goddamn, I love. I wanted to go back and find all, everyone's tweets from that fight. That was just so goddamn fun. With the last Mohicans, Vitor Belfort tweet, 
Because he just had that fucking strong, fucking the Brazilian hard target, you know, like like fucking Van Brazilian Van Dam in there, Douglas de Silva de Andrade. Like, I was just like, can somebody please get this man a cut off denim jacket in there, please? Just I need that I need that visual right now because. You know, the UFC gloves already look like the leather black cutoff gloves. And if you give him the black denim cutoff jacket and he's got the, the fucking short hair, long mullet, ponytail, like that's just so fucking 90s tough guy. Early 90s tough guy. Oh, it's fucking great. Oh, it's great. Anyways, but even in a fight like that, like he's he's on cruise control. He's not overextending himself. He's finding his points. You know, he's working off his rhythm slash how much he can pull his opponent out of position and what his opponent gives him. And, uh, he does get aggressive, a bit too aggressive at times, and he will get hit uh, early in the process of, of finding himself, kind of a, kind of like a Max Holloway in that sense. He will take those shots early, but he's confident in his chin and his reads because once he has his reads, we see what happens, and we kind of see why he's so eager to get to that rhythmic point of the fight. But against a hitter like John Dotson, which you know, say what you will about John Dotson's age recent record and motivation which you really got a question at this point you know what's going on in there um what's he he's a lovable guy but it's like what, what the hell are you doing man are you just happy to fucking be in staring contest and throw a couple of ones and twos every once in a while and expect to win the decision and that's why he's going to split decisions and that's why i kind of see he's going to decision because he's durable he's a veteran he knows how to play the fight out. He can wrestle. He's got footwork. He's got the southpaw stance for distancing. He can duck and weave and dart out of the pocket. So he will have uh, eject buttons to, to pull, but Jan's going to make it a fight, make him fight. But also, kind of back to my other point that I was initially, originally alluding to, again, Dotson, say what you will, the power is still going to be there for all the criticisms you lay, and that will be enough to check. Uh, the aggressive, exciting fight that Yano want to be pushing on him. So I think this could be more exciting than meets the eye, and I would hope it is, but at the same time, you know, a guy going with that decision prop, uh, maybe not too exciting. Let's keep it, you know. This will be a performance to actually see if Jan could out-veteran the veteran, you know, where you have more weapons, you have more mobility, maybe some speed and youth on your advantage and some stylistic ploys you can use. But maybe this is one of those matchups where you use the veteran savvy and you do enough not to wake up your opponent. You, you let John you let John Dotson get into that lull, but you just make sure you're beating him on the scorecards as you do it. So you just you never have to get into too much trouble with the dragon. I don't expect Fedorian to fight that way. That's not his style. But you know, it's just it's just just me thinking out loud. But uh, I, I got Peter Yan here. All right, next fight, which is the rounds out the main card. Uh, Magomed Ankalaev, who to me looks like Dagestani Stipe, right, guys? Look at him. He's got a little bit of a pointy nose and, you know, a little bit more pronunciation from the bone features uh, from his body to face because he's he's carrying a little less meat than the heavy than a, than a heavyweight, right? But look at him. Look, look at the side-by-side. Is, is that not Dagestani Stipe Miocic there? Uh, but, yeah, um, he faces uh, Kielsen Farias plus 175. Um, this is a dangerous fight. This is, I would say, dog or pat, but I'm just, to me, this is like one of the biggest passes in general. In fact, it's on my fights to avoid, which I'll recap these picks and plays at the very end, guys. Uh, it's on my fights to avoid. Uh, Kielsen Farias. He reminds me of uh, what's that one dude who was out for a minute and got the upset. He fought like Leon Edwards back in the day. I think he moved out to 185, maybe. Um, I don't know. Maybe beat Nordin Taleb. 
Brazilian guy who like is in England. God, I said enough people are gonna be upset. I'll look him up, guys. Stop yelling at the uh, save your voice. I know I'm usually that guy too, but uh, I'll bring him up. He reminds me of him. He's jiu-jitsu specialist, uh, black belt. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, but he's actually fought like decent competition too, like quietly decent competition, like winning record guys, tough organization, tougher organizations maybe, and some of them traveled. Etc. Like a deceptively tough regional record for whatever that's worth. Um, pulling up Nordin to Lebshire dog to find him. That's right, Cl- Claudio Silva. This guy reminds me of kind of like Claudio Silva, but uh, but yeah, uh, Farias. I always want to say Feria or Feria. Kielsen uh, reminds me of him. A hey, Southpaw as well. He'll kind of circle, circle, counter, and look to kind of shoot takedowns, but he'll pressure when he needs to as well. Decent kickboxing because he comes from Evolu Kaltai, but you can tell it's not his forte. But, again, he's trying to do certain things there. He's got a lot of great, you know. Man, you want to talk about Southpaw Muay Thai, guys. I know we always talk about Kudero, Kings MMA, and the guys he's produced. But what about Evolu Kaltai? I mean, Francisco Trinaldo, Rafael Carvalho. Um, even, you know, teaching jiu-jitsu guys to strike who you know primarily fights from orthodox though will shift uh what was his name supposed to be uh looks like he's 50 but he's only like 32 you're supposed to fight for the middleway title uh lovato jr i mean a lot of these guys and you know kilson farias you know very similar um so he's not going to be opposed to banging and you know magomed ankalaev is a southpaw too how's that going to affect his style i would argue that the muay thai guy from evolu kaltai who trains with southpaws that's going to benefit him, the southpaw versus southpaw matchup, more than ankle life. It looks like he really likes to use his distance. He really likes to, uh, he likes the authority of distance that the southpaw orthodox open stance gives him and uh, can let him pick and choose on whether he wants to strike, what he wants to strike with, or can allow him different approaches uh, for wrestling and, and his shots as well. So I actually think ankle you know, could wrestle, but then you got to wonder, is it going to be in his head? Uh, from what happened against Paul Craig, because Farias is a more dangerous guy than Paul Craig, at least on paper. Um, so it is a real interesting matchup in that regard. You know, uh, We're going to see if Dagestani Stipe cannot fall asleep and stay focused, because this is going to be at the focus fight where he's going to have to, I think he's really going to have to get this guy in boxing range in the clinch and just kind of fucking try to Randy Couture him. You know, Easy, folks. Easy. That's not what I mean. All right, uh, next fight. Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, a couple of fighters I wouldn't mind Randy Couture. Jesus, Dan. No. All right. Uh, oh, what's the next fight here? Oh, let's reset that. Walk that back. You can't, Dan. It's too late. Jillian Robertson, Savage, 165. Veronica Macedo, plus 145. I'm a fan of both these ladies. I'm a fan. Um, Jesus, Dan, don't leave off on that creepy note. Uh, fan of both their skills. Um, should be a close fight by the lines. Yeah, no, this, this is about right on the lines. Uh, this could get dicey. Uh, Macedo, she's just a spitfire, man. Maybe it's that, you know, that Latin fire. She's got it. I mean, it's in those eyes, right? I mean, look at it. Oof. Be still. Props to my boy Khalil. Anyways. But yeah, uh, she she you know I like she got that karate stance in all seriousness. She's explosive, uh, real dangerous head kicks. 
which is uh, probably going to be Jillian Robertson's biggest threat on the feet, and she's going to want to get this on the ground. And Jillian Robertson doesn't waste too much time, and she's pretty aggressive. She knows what she wants. She'll pull guards. She'll go half guards, double legs. Against, and she, she's got a lot of tricks up her sleeve. She's well-trained. Um, she's well-trained by uh, Din, uh, Din Thomas. And... Um, but it's kind of tricky, you know. Uh, Din, from what I gathered, not going to be in her corner. Was was listening to the interview uh, James with her with uh, James Lynch, and uh, you know she's used to traveling in enemy territory or traveling, you know, across the world and whatnot. But yeah, she's only traveling with one person, a corner person, workout person, warm up person. We'll see how that goes for her. But the game plan's pretty straightforward and. You know, Macedo's got some leg locks and scrambles. She'll ensue, but I think Robertson can capitalize. I mean, honestly, she had some lulls, but, you know, Marina Buena or whatever her name was, I mean, she's kind of was unproven. It's hard to know. You know, I believe she was from shootbox, and she had some armbar and submission wins before, and sure enough, we saw why. And that was a brutal armbar. You know, I think she kind of slept, let it get got too deep, and then when she was forced to defend, I think she then realized she was too close to the cage. But even then, it looked like she was still going to be okay. But as she went to turn and go with the angle, uh, Marina Buena Silva, I think her name is, she went belly down on that arm bar. And that's what just changed the game on it. Um, so that was brutal. Uh, glad Jillian Roberts is okay. She's a young girl. You know, she's training great place, American top team. Uh, looks like she's doing good coming out of her shell. <laughs> You know, uh, James Lynn's asked her about some type of photographer following her around. I was like, oh, I wonder what kind of photos he was doing. He was, he was underselling it. There's some nice photos. You're underselling it, James. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, but uh, no, there was the, you know, you know she, uh, hey, I'm not hating. You know, I, I'm glad. Uh, empowerment, all that stuff. It's fucking awesome. I'm not trying to come off as a. Uh, there's a creep here, so, so, so apologies for for that. But I'm just more laughing at myself because, <laughs> you know, Dan Tom's sense of humor, which sadly most of you probably do, which is not a good thing for me. If, if you all know my sense of humor with this podcast, um, you may get <laughs> I laugh here or there. But uh, I just I just appreciate intricacies of 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 the of the inter of of the interview. And yes, yes, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I do appreciate a beautiful woman. There's nothing wrong with that, folks. I can say that. I'm talking about their skills. Hey, I talk I talk more about these ladies' skills in this podcast more than more than most media members talk about these ladies' skills. And that's not a diss on most media members. It's kind of more the way our game's set up. But in my defense, folks, all I'm saying, not that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right, Dan, we get it. Who are you picking? I don't know. I can't stop thinking about how they look. No, just kidding. I'm picking a, I'm picking a Jillian Robertson here. Um, again, you know, the ground fighting is, is a more consistent path when we're rolling the proverbial dice of probabilities in this type of matchup. I think we can all agree on that. So uh, I'm going to go with the uh, better ground fighter on paper and from what we've seen, Jillian Robertson. All right, next fight. Uh, Carlo Pedersoli minus 150, Dwight Grant plus 130. Maybe I should talk about these guys' bodies to kind of equal it out so I'm not coming off, you know, sexist. And I'm really jealous of Dwight Grant's waistline to, 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 to badonk ratio. He's got a really nice, nice body, you know, like it, it makes it hard. You can't really hit it. He can just, he can just turn his body to a right angle and hide it well, you know. Uh, or it's Pedersoli, man. I mean, this guy's got a beautiful beard. If, if, I, if old Dan Tom. Could only if 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 Dan Tom was like more than fifteen percent Italian, you know, and maybe you know a little less Asian, maybe I could get the Pedersoli going. So 
I will just rival in jealousy. I, it works both ways. I can admire, I can admire both sexes, folks. This is swings, but well, let's not take it too literally. Doesn't literally not that there's anything wrong with that, Dan. This is this is not the protect your, your your position podcast. All right, well, I'm just just saying, you can appreciate both. Uh, where the hell was I? See, I'm distracting myself now. I'm getting I'm getting on the back foot. He's countering. He's countering. Uh, speaking of countering, um, boy, usually it's the southpaw who's the counterfighter, but not this case. The southpaw Petasoli is the pressure volume type of guy whereas Dwight Grant whether high pressure situations or just from what I've seen a little more lower volume will look to pick his shots uh but he is the body snatcher for a reason he will snatch he's the shot snatcher he'll he'll just he'll pick he'll pick and choose his shots and take them mid-exchange which is going to keep him really alive here um I uh I flipped a coin on this one back and forth I ended up siding with Peter Soli a lot of times I will side with volume over, but it's not a it's not a confident pick, guys. I, I could either see this pedestal by decision or Grant by uh, by knockout. So if you're playing Grant straight up or TKO, I mean, might as well play him straight up if you're going to play him because you're getting plus money on him. But this is definitely dog or pass, even though I'm on the favorite here. Um, you know, pedestal, you look at his fights with Scott and uh, what's his name? Dalby. You know, the... The, the you know they're pretty back and forth. He gets tagged with some shots, man. And some shots you could argue he he maybe shouldn't. He's young. He's not experienced. So it's not like he he should be better than that. It's not what I mean. But but you know uh, maybe you might want to see him a little more conservative for parts of the fight. Let's just say I think that's more than fair to say. Uh, and a guy like Durant, uh, Grant can make him pay. You know who's deceptively experienced himself. He's an older cat at thirty four. Wise. He's got that traditional martial arts background. Uh, I like that. He's got a good taste for video games. But he's also a mature family man. His priorities, you know, what's important. I don't think he's going to waste his shot, man. I think Grant's coming to fight. But it's going to be a tough fight. Uh, it's going to have a lot of looks coming his way. He's going to have some travel uh, and whatnot. Um, but it sounds like he's got a good good grasp on the weight cut. So I'm expecting a good fight. Uh, this one... Uh, yeah, this one's on my avoid list too. That's why it makes sense. Yep, that's on my avoid list. And Kalia Faria Robertson Macedo was on my avoid list. Uh, yeah, wow. Okay, three, and we'll probably the next one will probably be on my avoid list too. Uh, maybe not. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, I got Petter Soli here. Anyways, next fight, Demir. Hadzovic. Minus, I don't know what the opener was on this one. I was almost trying to avoid it because I didn't want to look. I tried to, by the way, I tried to low key not to look at these odds until I have my either analysis done or at least my rough analysis leans uh, so I can kind of see where it matches up in my head unbiasedly. Um, yeah, so I don't know where they opened that, but yeah, uh, Hadzovic minus 115. Marco Pollo Reyes minus one oh five. Uh yeah, this this fight that's you could flip those numbers and again it's still about right, folks. This fight's you know uh you could probably put a plus number by Demir, or I would definitely hit it at a plus number. I mean, I not hit a plus number inside the distance because you know me. But uh, again, this is this is not when you want your money near folks, honestly. Um I am picking Hadzovic, but I tried to put my bias uh Side, I know it's like, oh, you pick this guy every time. But honestly, he's not a guy you want to play as a favorite or even, I dare say, at close odds. I mean, 
He's not beyond getting hurt as tough and fucking Terminator-like as he looks and is built. Uh, he still puts himself in the fire, right? And granted, that was fucking Tysonoff landing a perfect shot. And I did take him against Tysonoff. But again, you, you want to take Demir Hadzovic in those spots, in those plus 345 spots and shit. Because he will hit like he did against Held, uh, where I took him and, and was, was felt very uh, strong uh, on him there. Uh, and other times as dogs. I really like Hadzovic, man, from, from the Cage Warriors days. You know, he's always been a beast in the clinch. He came from jiu-jitsu. He's a, uh, you know, he's a bodybuilder, so he's a real athlete of a dude. And he, but not just depending on that. He, he re-geared it. He didn't take the meathead mentality into the sport by any means. Just, but you could fucking see it on his body. Just a beast in the clinch, knees and elbows. And that's where his Muay Thai is going to be better than Poyo Reyes's. Poyo Reyes can tie kick, but Hadzovic, even again, going back to his Cage Warriors days, I mean, this guy could tie march um, and leg kick himself. He also has some really underrated front teeps. So I don't see Reyes's leg kick's going to be able to stand in range with a guy who can tie march and teep. Furthermore, Reyes mainly throws his kicks off of punches slash when he's feeling in stride. So not that Reyes can't get in stride, not that he can't hit, hurt, or knock out. All those very possible for him to do to Hadzovic. But again, a, a lot of punches and momentum for those leg kicks to land and for those punches and combinations to happen. You better hope you don't eat a jab straight down the center, which is what Hadzovic seemed to dust off. Because again, Cage Warrior Days, he had all these weapons, and he put them together, but he was like a kid in a candy store. Whereas, like, you look at his last fight with Hein, even though he kind of had a bad second round, and maybe he was gathering himself and and whatnot, and, uh, or, 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 you know, just kind of had an off round or took it off, whatever the, the speculation you want to throw upon that. Uh, what he did bring to the table in that fight was some really improved boxing. Now, it's not the same type of boxing where, like, a guy like James Vick, who I believe was a bad stylistic matchup for Poirot Reyes, where he's going to really, like, you know, over really pull Reyes out of his shell in the sense of he'll pull Reyes out of his shell with aggression because Hadzovic is aggressive. He's going to make that kind of a fight, which is why if you guys are going to play anything, play this fight doesn't go the distance. That's the safer line. I think it's like around, like, was it like 170 or 180? You could actually put that straight up or some type of a parlay. But, uh... Small and degenerate, of course. You know, again, we're talking about props here. We're talking about parlaying MMA here. Two things that are just limited and stupid. Um, but for what it's worth, it's the podcast to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see him taking those advanced angles and using his length like a Vic would per se. But his boxing was really improved. Um, defense improved. More showing, more tight, but that's good. I would rather him do that than what Reyes typically does. And why I say typically is he typically moves his head and will be kind of wild and free-flowing, and and it kind of gets a little too blended and a little too, uh, start, you know, a little too risk-averse, even though it's defensive head movement because he's, he's blending it with his punches, which is not a bad thing. But again, when you're being aggressive... Uh, you start to see diminishing returns on that defense, right? doesn't matter how technical and defensive you are. If you're a high-volume pressure fighter who your game plan is to go at it, um, you're just going to naturally get hit, right? I mean, see Max Holloway, some of the greatest strikers and the biggest, most technical guy. They're getting hit because certain styles, aggressive styles, bring that inherently. Uh, and Poyo Reyes does. But he had, like, no head movement in his last fight. Uh, granted, he won, and granted... His opponent really wasn't moving his head either. Um, but it's it's just weird. It's like, you know, 
I know Frivola wasn't moving his head, but Frivola was throwing heat, and Frivola's got sting on his punches, and you know he did a pull, he did some pulling uh, at the right time, especially for that end shifting two one two finish that he that he hit uh, Frivola with. But um, yeah, I still at the end of the day, even though I like. Poyo Reyes is pure boxing better and think he has the boxing advantage and the power and knockout advantage in boxing range. Still don't like his defense all that much, and I give the leg kicking, the knees, the elbows, the kicks, the range, the clinch to Hadzovich. And I'm not underrating Reyes' clinch, by the way, because he's got an underrated clinch slash off the break KO against Cesar Arzamendia, where he does it off the wrist control, and you know... Your boy Dan Tom here loves wrist control and how it affects fight, uh, striking and grappling. So not trying to overlook Poyle Reyes at all. If he was dog money and you took a shot, I don't blame you. Uh, definitely good luck if you're on the heads of his train because I may have D-Gen sprinkled inside on him. But I don't recommend you take or play either side. I am on the heads of his side, though. Um, if you are looking at anything to sprinkle degenerate-wise, maybe look at like trying to play something this fight doesn't go the distance, maybe. If that works with your your taking, because you're not really seeing too much plus money unless you're just going to take a hard side on a prop or something. All right, next fight is the last one on my official avoid list, which, you know, I only go three to four officially. And that is, it may seem weird to you. You know, my, my thinking, why don't you parlay this guy? He, all he does is win, win, win. Michel, meet my consigliere, Michel, or whatever the line from Dodgeball is. That's what I think of whenever I see Mini Fabricio Verdue. Michel Pizarres, minus 440, versus Ismail Noridaev from Grazny. But, you know, I looked at the year he was born, and yeah, a lot of those people from Grazny moved to other places of the world, folks. And uh, Austria is where uh, this gentleman looked to have come up. And one of those deceptive regional... regional... Um, Regional records. Uh, now, he doesn't have a deeply entrenched traditional martial arts base is the example I'll use, but I'll use the example of that. Uh, wow, why are you going to use an example of someone you can't pull out and you're going to make yourself go look up the... It's okay, I already had Nordin Taleb pulled up because he fought Nordin Taleb. He reminds me of Oliver Encamp. There we go. Look at that. How convenient was that shit? Uh, it reminds me of Oliver Encamp in the sense of just one of the... He, one of those deceptive, uh, you know, he's more deceptive than the, he's, this kid's more capable. And for whatever criticisms you could say about his record, they're probably good because you got to be reminded, wait a minute, this guy's only like 22 or 23 or some shit to have a 17 and, 17 and 2 or whatever it is record. Clearly, I don't have these things in front of me. So that's what I mean by that comparison. Uh, the good news is he's not a, a, a little boy looking like Oliver Encamp. And it's not a diss to Oliver Encamp. You know, I got love for Encamp. But I'm just saying he doesn't look like a little kid uh, or anything like that. Like the, uh, you know, uh, this guy looks like he's got some pop to him. He moves really well. I think he's a southpaw. Uh, I looked at this fight a couple days ago, sorry. Uh, but, yeah, he looked really capable, man. Um, and I couldn't tell, but it looks like he's got some some decent wrestling chops. I mean, he wrestles in his fights and he looks to wrestle. But, uh, like, he actually puts real time in on the mats and may even have a background in it, which is dangerous because uh, that means if he can... I don't think he's going to be able to take a guy like Pacheres down, nor maybe necessarily would he want to, not because Pacheres is a guard guy, but because he's hard to take down. It makes you tired. We see him reverse uh, that with guys, and then he deceptively uh, can stand with guys too. Uh, but if he can keep it standing and 
you know, just can light up. You know, you actually have a tall, rangy welterweight. If he can do what he's supposed to and strike with him, I'm like, you know, uh, Zach Cummins, uh, what did? Uh, then, yeah, maybe this insane streak can be ended by, by a guy we, we necessarily didn't expect it to be ended by. Uh, I, I know a bunch of us, we've all taken our turns on trying to fade Michelle. I know I did with uh, Zach Cummings. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's been on this quiet little run and, uh, this guy could, could do it, could do it last minute, man. At the last minute replacement. I know that sounds crazy. That said, of course, I'm going with Michelle. However, last time I did say this where I picked Michelle, but was giving an exorbitant amount of credit was a guy named Mads Burnell. And, uh, I would argue, I proved not to be crazy with that again, kind of back to the Hadzovich example, even though these guys may have lost their debuts. Cause like many fighters, they have to come into un unfavorable conditions. Uh, I'm not completely crazy when I say these guys have some skill and there could be some value down the line. Uh, so, but we'll, we'll just have to see with Ishmael. I know where, I'm not even as confident, not that I was super confident in those other two, but nowhere near as confident as I was with those. And again, the pick is Pacheris. But that is why, I guess, is what I'm trying to explain here, is why, though the biggest favorite on the card is why it's on my avoid list. Though, by technical definition, especially how I formatted it in my articles, uh, inflated favorites can uh, earn their way on the avoid list for that reason as well. So either way, I stayed away from this. I may sprinkle on that dog actually if it goes any, if it goes toward like the plus four hundred range, just for shits of it. Why not? Um, next fight I did not though. Spoiler alert: Chris Fishgold, fucking two forty five for the, uh, the, the Liverpoolian and the. Uh, Daniel Timo plus two hundred five. This guy is just so goofy, man. Why is this guy so goofy? Like when you see him get on the scale, like he's just very like that little kid, like Ugh! like he's almost like that Diaz brother like character, but even more like kid like and childish. Like that little kid who's pretending to be tough. Like that's Daniel Timo, right? And he's just funny. He's like low key. He's like really into being a chef, and you can tell like he looks like a chef, right? He looks like one of those dudes who just gets down in the kitchen and. Hey man, I'm a dude with some with some with some uh, with some baggage on him himself. You know what I'm saying? I'm not I, with the name Daniel. Believe me, I, I'm cut from a similar cloth. Although, uh, thankfully, uh, thankfully, I'm not the same height as this guy. <laughs> but but yeah, like you know, he's uh, he's like uh, as uh, I believe even um, Chris Fishgold said so himself. He's the lesser of the Timor brothers. He's like. He's like Danny DeVito, right? He's like Danny DeVito and Twin. Maybe they're not that drastic of a difference between him and David, but, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, all the finishers in the first round, lower competition. We see him fade and lose anytime it goes past. We see him gas, uh, even give up submissions. So uh, I think that's what's going to happen here. And uh, I like Fishgold. I liked this one my, as my lean. I liked it when I did the analysis. And I liked it even more uh, after I, I, I uh, heard the interview with uh, Lynch. But uh, he is a, a parlay piece for me. I parlayed him with uh, the over and one more thing. Um, and uh, he is also the only the second prop. Uh, again, I only took uh, two prop stabs, and they were just angles at chalk. And this was the other one. I took uh, Fish inside the distance, minus 130, because I think he's going to get the submission. And submission was like minus 125 or something. And you got to look at dimes on that. Sometimes you can get, sometimes you can get more value on the wider on the wider prop. But uh, if it's so close enough, then I'll just, I'll just take the inside the distance. 
because uh, uh, like back to the interview, he's, he really feels strong, strongly on this matchup too. He knows what he's got to do. Um, and thankfully, it's within his nature, and uh, he's going for the. He quoted three minutes, which could be dangerous. That actually could be worrisome when you hear a guy speak like that. But uh, either way, it made me pull the trigger on the inside the distance prop, so I, I, I laid the chalk on that. Um, yeah. All right, next fight. Oh, boy. This is an interesting one. This could be on the fights to avoid because of the nature of the fight, but at the same time, it's one of those weird fights where if you have an angle either way, like I could honestly see a bet either way on this, guys. And that is Rustam Khabilov in minus 145 versus Di Carlos Diego Ferreira at plus 125. Uh, I don't know what this opened at. I would not be surprised, though, if Khabilov opened as a wider favorite uh, and deserved favorite. And for that reason, I wouldn't blame anybody betting Kabilov here, which is rare to bet Kabilov because he's not exciting, he's not a sexy bet, he's not a sexy fighter, and his line, even when people aren't high on him, the line, the odds makers know what this guy's going to do, and he's pretty consistent about doing it, so his lines are pretty high. Um, so it ends up being a dog or pass, but uh, the dogs aren't that tempting, and, and again, the reason why this guy's not so much of a sexy guy or his style, uh, there could be a lot of things that make you pull your hair about him, I mean, he might just be one of those dog-assigning dudes who just do that, we see that with a lot of these guys, they just don't fucking throw. Um, you know, they'll just do kind of just enough and they get in this, this, like Rashid Magomedov with the, the striking, uh, type of dudes or, you know, you, you, or, well, a lot of them are the, more the striking type Dagestanis, to be honest, uh, for the most part, which maybe it's weird why Rashid, uh, or Rustam doesn't, you know, he said that he felt pressured parts of his career to strike. I could see that, you know, he loses his spot to Benson Henderson and then they just give him murderers row, like dudes who just aren't fun to fight. Like Norman Park, who seemed fun for a second there, then just went in this crazy decision run. Or, you know, they give him the Adriano Martins of the world, who we'll talk about. Um, fuck, I don't have it in front of me. But, yeah, like he, it is defense. He's, he got guys that weren't, like, you know, Kahan Johnson. Like, just not stylistically fun, not big names. So, I mean, there was a lot of factors that helped him, aside from himself, keep him on prelims and not be that exciting. Um, we know he can throw spin kicks and punch in close distance, but he's not a, the strongest combination or volume guy. He just strikes at the right times, and those are the kind of strikes that judges like, but really just relies on his, his overall pressure, primarily his grappling pressure, scoring the takedowns. Uh, we'll see him come on strong early, take the second round off, hit the third, or sometimes guys might get a striking edge, but he'll still somehow win the round, or he'll just come strong those second and third. So, I mean... This guy knows where he's at in the fight, in other words, uh, which is why I was leaning toward him and picking him toward the end, toward crunch time. And it's not a confident pick because it came toward the end. But I actually ended up going with Carlos Diego Fajeda, a guy who I've underrated a many of times. Um, so maybe it's a little of that. But you look at the guy's skill and you get worried, you know, the sample size. And it actually started to level out. And then he gets hit with the USADA thing. And he bounces back from that. Uh, still looks in good shape. Still looks like he can go the decisions. Still uh, looks furious. Is winning. Um, did it really change too much? So uh, whatever that was, we could just chalk it up to everybody's on steroids, as Nick Diaz says. Um, the guy's sample size has, has solidified, at least to the point of prior criticisms that me and perhaps others may have had, or at least questions at the very least, maybe not criticisms. Those are a little unfair to say. Um, 
but yeah, he's shown he can he he can bang it out. Even when he gets hurt, uh, he got caught cold by Kyle Nelson, uh, giant lightweight there early, but showed that he can recover. Uh, he's got decent enough wrestling, and I think that's the thing, you know. Copy Law's wrestling is good, but we don't see guys try to take him down. And when they do, they're surprisingly successful. And that was something we learned with the Adriana Martins fight. And I think that Fajeda is not as big or as strong, especially from the clinch, as a guy like Martins. But I think his double leg's a little better. It's a little more faster. And like he's definitely more scramblier than a guy who's kind of was... He's kind of stiff. He's got a limbersome nature about him, Martins. But Martins knows how to play position. He's really good from that half guard, uh, double forearm, double wrist, con- uh, <laughs> double wrist control, uh, or Kimura. You know, he'll kind of stall. He'll work. He'll use threaten a mount pass, a side control pass, submission. Th- he he works the chain from there so beautifully. It's really basic and it looks like a nothing burger, but he does a lot with it. And Fajeda actually uses that position too. He used it on, you know, Luke Nelson or whatever his name was. I know that guy's not a big name, but he also used it on guys like uh, OAM and stuff in ground transitions. So if he gets him to the ground, especially later and his pressure builds up, man, I could maybe not submitting, but I could see him, you know, really working and putting him in spots because even a guy like Kabilov's got to respect the ground game of a third degree black belt like Carlos Diego Fajeda. Um, and if Khabilov's not showing the striking progression and advancements, that's the one thing in his game that really has lacked uh, progressing-wise. And as far as most threatening parts of his game, that's also the least scoring. Now, if we're going to further stereotype, i got to imagine his time spent in American training camps would help fix that. The thing thing is, he stayed in Dagestan like for this camp. He didn't even do the Bahrain training camp, if you will, it doesn't look like. So, in other words... Uh, Wrestling heavy camp, maybe? I don't know. I don't know if he's getting a, any striking advancements. Um, just going to throw his occasional spinning shit to try to throw, try to win rounds. Uh, so I actually went with a dog, and because I went with a dog, I, I played the dog. You're getting small shots small shots on the dogs all around here, guys. But, uh, yeah, I took a shot on Carlos Diego Fajeda at plus 125. Uh, to win, I don't know if he does it by submission or a late stoppage slash submission in the third round. But uh, Derek loves Years just itched. No, Derek Love. That wasn't a signal for you to make a play. But it, I, I do think about. I haven't forgot about the third rounds, y'all. I haven't forgot about those third round plays. I just haven't. I haven't found one I felt strong about. Although you know, part of me itched was about the, the all about that Barbarina third round play. You know, I, I've, I've played that before with Worley. I thought maybe it came out. No, I was like, no, no, no. And good thing I didn't because he was the one that got finished in the third round, eh? And uh, I did end up picking Luke for that fight for what that's worth anyways. No, no third round plays. Just wanted to, wanted to give a shout-out to one of the listeners there. Um, but, yeah, that's the pick there for that fight. All right, lastly, Damir Ismagulov. Ismagulov? I don't know, dude. Look in the mirror. Versus Yoel Alvarez. Plus 235. There's probably so many Joel Alvarez's in the world. But this guy's from Spain. Um, I want to say, was he a last-minute replacement? I don't know if he was or not. But, yeah, he seems like it because that's we're usually for MMA fighters from Spain end up on cards because someone falls out. Damn, that's not how. <laughs> they actually have organizations up there. Yes, I'm sure they do. Most of them fucking fight in Portugal, which is, yeah, anyways... Um, not the stereotype countries, because I'm usually the guy going, hey, you know, they are uh, they are breaching their stereotype. There are more people that can wrestle from Europe. 
Mm-hmm. Spain, not so much, guys. Spain is still much the weaker of the <laughs> European countries as far as... I'm sorry, y'all have a beautiful country. I had fun in Spain. But uh, as far as MMA goes, no bueno. I didn't see too much from this guy, just him getting ice with a head kick. You really can't see too much of him. I think there's like a little bit of a 2017 fight, and they don't show all of it. Um, but he looks like a tall striker guy that Demir Magulov's going to take right the fuck down. And another reason why I thought he was late man replacement, because this is at 155, and Ismagulov was calling for 145 after his uh, debut against Georgis. Uh, but regardless, I see him doing the same thing here and making a statement more known. Probably going to be a decision. But Demir Ismagulov is the third leg to my chalk parlay. So I always do one chalk parlay for fun, but it also, ideally, whatever I win from it, will ideally my algorithm cover what I'm spending. To keep myself entertained, because I do this for entertainment, folks. And trying to retire, make a living off the issue, yeah. And uh, with what I did play was, was of course, that. I parlayed, uh, yes. So recapping the play, picks and plays, starting with the plays, I guess. Oh, let's go picks, I guess. Okay, so I got uh, Jan Blakowicz beating Thiago Santos. Stefan Struve beating Florida. Marcos Rodriguez de Lima. Welcome to my... I got Mikhail Alexejic defeating John Belante. GP. Uh, I got uh, Litz Faber Carmouche defeating Lucy Puddle of Love. Pudlova. I got Petr No Mercy Jan defeating John Dotson. I have... Uh, Magomed Miocic, <laughs> Magomed Ankalaev versus uh, I, I have him beating uh, Kill the Sun for the Years. Uh, I have uh, yeah, Savage Robinson beating Veronica mm, Macedo. All right, damn, easy. Uh, I have Carlo Pertusoli possibly beating Dwight Grant. <laughs> Hadzovich defeating Polo Reyes. I have Michel, Mini Verdun Brecheres, defeating Ismail, Noridail. I have Chris Fish, Fulham Fishkov, beating Daniel Timor. I have Carlos Diego Ferreira, defeating Rustam Khabilov, who really hasn't done much since his suplex over Vince Bichel and helping Gary Oldman take over Air Force One. Uh, and I have Demir Ismagulov beating Yoel Alvarez. And I parlayed Chris Vishgold, minus 245, Ismagulov, minus 275, and the over in Pudilova uh, favor uh, at minus 365 for plus money for my chalk parlay. My straight bets were only three, but they were all my dog picks. Uh, I threw down on Blockwitch when he was plus 120, uh, who is now even money. I threw down on Shruv when he was plus 120, who is now plus 100. I threw down on Carlos Diego Fajeda, who is plus 145, who is still plus 145, I think. Or is he plus 125 now? Uh, wow, he's plus 125 now. Okay, I guess that line did go down. Hmm. All right. Um, well, my writing's bad. Either way, props only played two, which were angles on chocks and chocks themselves. Fish gold inside the distance, minus 130. I laid the chalk there, and then I also laid some chalk by Yon by decision, which I don't feel that great about. Minus 150. Fights to avoid. Michel Pacheres versus Nare Daiv. Uh, Dwight Grant versus Petter Soli. Fucking that one's volatile. 
Robertson versus Macedo. So sit back and enjoy it. Easy Dan. And Magomed Miocic versus Farias. Uh, is on the avoid list. All right. Um, oh, forgot to answer a question, which I guess I'll answer real quick. Submissions and transitions. You can hit me up on Twitter, which will parlay this into the outro at Dan Tom MMA at the PYN podcast. By the way, at the PYN podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Same address for all. I won't spam you. The likes go for a lot. And you can reach out for questions as Rob Freer at Freer underscore Rob did. Did Felder have trouble with Vic when he was getting long and being aggressive? Will pressure be an issue uh, with Gage if he fights him? Yeah, yeah, that's when Felder was getting hit the most, obviously, on those um, fully extended shifting shots when Vic was having confident being aggressive. And yes, obviously, I see the aggression being an issue, but it's not an issue Felder won't have answers for. Uh, not only does Felder, too, have leg kicks of his own and is not, not too savvy and can deal with kickers, uh, the hardest kickers, uh, and Edson Barbosa, not many people can have that three-round let-miss test before they face a Justin Gaethje. That is worth something. That doesn't mean he's going to win. In fact, Felder will probably be the dog, um, and deservedly so. And that's not a disrespect. You know, I'm a huge Felder fan. That's not a disrespect to Felder at all. Uh, but Felder will have answers and elbows that I think are really fucking interesting. Uh, we see him collide with elbows and obviously improve boxing, uh, not to mention the spinning shit, which he parlays off of being kicked hard. I mean, Felder is going to have a plethora of answers, and he is getting better, whether you like him or, or support him or not. You can't deny that the man's getting better. Uh, he's a very big, durable, lightweight. So it will the pressure be an issue? Yes, but he will have answers to it. So more on that uh, if it ever happens. Hopefully we just need uh, Felder to get better. But thanks for that, Rob. Y'all can uh, listen to this on iTunes. Five-star ratings and reviews are really appreciative. I, I got a new one that just said good podcast or something, whatever. That's fine. Thank you. A five-star rating went with that. Um, I think I got like a four and a one, and the rest are all fives. I'm not even mad at that four and the one. I know I've had some one performances, and especially uh, toward the third quarter of last year where I was in the shitter for many reasons. Uh, but that no excuses, folks. Bad performance is bad performance, and I will own it. Um, so that being said, the fucking five star, that fucking helps, man. Really? Let's be real. Appreciate those. Uh, I I am working on things, folks. The reason why you have not seen me five days a week, I I am working on getting things done. I just have a lot of things from from taxes to eye doctor, uh, personal stuff, getting back on track and just professional stuff too, folks. So more on that to come, but it is being worked on, which means the other things will come down the line. But until then... Before we get to the SoundClouds and Stitchers, you can find this podcast from all smartphone-friendly players, MixMarshallAnalyst.com, folks. Just go there. Uh, of course, there's breakdowns. There's other little goodies and tidbits. Toggle to the side, or you don't even have to. Just scroll down. You will see the Amazon and Onnit click-throughs. If you buy anything through Amazon or Onnit, everybody uses Amazon. And a lot of you actually use Onnit, too. If you click through those banners, a small percentage goes back to me in the podcast. None is taken from you. A good way to support the show. Uh, or show some appreciation for the work without actually having to even spend any money. It's just a click, guys. Really appreciate it. If you do, let me know so I can shout you guys out and I can know to look for it on the um, affiliate reports that I get. So, so please and thank you. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And always protect your next.